Welcome, coaches. Thank you for tuning in to Keep Your Pads Down. Today we talk with defensive tackles coach for the 2018 Southland Conference champion, Incarnate Word Cardinals, Coach Brett Watson. The Cardinals experienced an amazing and probable turnaround under first-year head coach Eric Morris, finishing with a 6-5 and five record and co-champions of the Southland Conference one year after going 1-10. The Cardinals' 2018 league record was the best in program history and tied the record for most wins for any Cardinal football team in a single season. UIW also qualified for the postseason for the first time in program history and finished the regular season ranked as the number 24 team in the FCS. Defensively, the Cardinals led the nation in turnovers in 2018 with 30 total, including a lead-leading 18 interceptions. Coach Watson grew up in Perryton, Texas, and played defensive end at West Texas A&M, where he was a part of three Lone Star Conference championships. As a coach, Coach Watson has made stops at West Texas A&M, University of West Alabama, East Central University, and Southeastern Oklahoma State before coming to the University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio. Today, we're talking to Coach Watson about his rise through the D2 ranks to his current position at UIW, how the Cardinals coach turnovers and utilize undersized defensive linemen, and also how the staff at UIW managed to turn a 1-10 team and a conference champions in just one season. Coach Watson is clearly a rising star in this profession, and I know you'll enjoy what he has to say today on KYPD. Coach Watson, it's an honor to have you on to talk to us today. I'm excited to hear about the great things y'all have going on over at Incarnate Word. Yes, sir. No, uh, I really do appreciate you uh, reaching out and looking forward to talking some football and helping out the the, the coaching community because, uh, you know, that's the best way to learn is learn from other coaches, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely, Coach. Well, let, let's jump right into it. So grew up in the Texas Panhandle, the son of a uh, of a coach, played college ball at West Texas A&M. So was was coaching that was is that something that's always been in your blood something you've always wanted to do absolutely you know uh growing up just being around it you know my my dad was a high school coach he's a high school administrator my mom was a uh, high school english teacher you know it was just something that we were around all the time you know uh the, the probably the first first day i was on this earth i was probably in a basketball gym you know <laughs> my dad my dad bringing me in there uh, but I just saw the impact that he had on those on those young men. And even to this day, those guys that he impacted back in the 70s and 80s, still reaching out to him and just thanking him for who he was and what he meant to him. And, you know, he just saw those relationships blossom um, over the years and, and just seeing all the guys that he impacted and, uh, you know, what, what they turned out to be. And then also seeing my mom when she was in the classroom, that was something she was just passionate about. And that's something that my dad shared with me is if you're going to be a great coach, you have to be a great teacher. And then, you know, I actually got to take my mom's English class when I was a sophomore in high school and just the energy and the passion and the details that she, uh, that she took into her classroom every single day. Uh, it, it was just something that I enjoyed just not only being a part of, but witnessing, uh, just being a student and an athlete under my parents. It sounds like you had great role models to follow when you jumped into that profession. So tell us about your first coaching job. Where was that? Uh, it was actually at West Texas A&M. Uh, so I played uh, for three years there. I uh, was part of three conference championships. And then, uh, you know, I, I redshirted and I played as a redshirt freshman. And then I, my redshirt sophomore year actually got hurt. Um, and so I had to miss my redshirt sophomore year with the medical. 
Uh, and I still had two years of eligibility left, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall that it was uh, to start my, my journey as a coach. And I always knew I wanted to be a college coach. That was just something that uh, I always just found interest in. And after my, you know, my basically my second red shirt uh, year as a sophomore, you know, I sat down with Coach Carthel, uh, who was who was the head coach at West Texas A and M, and I said, you know, it, it's it's time for me to start my new career. So uh, that first year, I actually was uh, I graduated and I was a graduate assistant in our weight room. Uh, I mean, I did everything. I helped with the football team. I helped with men's uh, men's basketball, baseball, and then actually, um, I was in charge of men and women's golf and the equestrian team. Oh, wow. So I got to <laughs> I got to deal with a lot of different athletes in that perspective, but you know, in the back of my mind, uh, football was football was something that I missed. It was something that I missed being a part of. Um, and so after my year in the weight room, I began uh, being a GA uh, at West Texas A and M. Uh, started there, did that for three years. Got to be a part of some really great teams that continued to make the playoffs in Division Two. And then after the uh, 2011 season. I was lucky enough to get my first full-time job at the University of West Alabama. You made your you made your run and really cut your teeth on the Division II level. But before we we talk about that, let's go back to that that uh, you know working first of all in the weight room and then being a GA and then getting that full-time job. What's the the biggest thing that guys need to know when they're trying to make that jump from GA to full-time job? And it, it maybe the equivalent of a high school coach might be from junior high to that first varsity position. Like, what do they? What do guys need to be doing to make sure they're ready to take that next step? Uh, they just they just need to be the best at what they're doing. They they need to understand that every single day is an interview for them, for someone uh, to make a phone call for you, so you can put them on your resume. You know, and that was the one thing that I had being a GA is I worked my tail off. You know, I had to. I had to cut film, do laundry, you name it. I did it, and, and I would say I did a good enough job to where when it got time to it, I had multiple people calling uh, these universities saying, you need to hire this guy because he takes pride in no matter what job you give him. You know, uh, once he gets his own recruiting area, he's going to be great at it. Once he gets uh, to be in the meeting room by himself, he's going to be great at it because he was great at doing laundry. He was great at doing class checks. You know, there was no job too big or too small that I didn't take pride in. Uh, and that was something that, you know, every day is a job interview for you. And so those people that are eventually going to help you get your first full-time job, you have to give them a reason to make those phone calls or even hire you as full-time. And, right. you know, what's right. funny about that is after I got my first full-time job at West Alabama, a year later, I got hired to come back to my alma mater and become the defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator. So what I did in the past as a GA allowed me to come back to my alma mater and give back to a place that gave me so much. Yeah, Coach, that's a great point to uh, for, for coaches to remember, especially ones who are looking to advance and uh, whatever whatever capacity, whether it's on the high school or collegiate level, to, to take care of that job that you have, be faithful in those small things. Absolutely. If you want to be uh, given the opportunity to have more responsibility and, 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 and you know, bigger and better jobs. And so yes, you sir. moved on to West Alabama, and then you spent some time in Oklahoma in the Division II level. So just talk about that experience of, yeah. you know, of, of, of being a Division II coach and what that looks like and, and how that went for you. And, and this is what's interesting is how I got my job at Incarnate Word. Is, uh, after West Alabama, I went and spent a season up at East Central Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma under uh, Justin Deason, our defensive coordinator, and Tim McCarty, who was the head coach at East Central at the time. And 
you know, now Justin Decent's a defensive coordinator here at Incarnate Word, and he hired me six years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during that 2012 season, it was just kind of, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of movement going on. Coach Decent went to Texas A&M Commerce, and I went back to West Texas A&M. Uh, and, you know, we always kept that same relationship going that we had when we worked together. And, you know, six years later, he gave me my first Division One job. So that was something neat and uh, very, very thankful for his loyalty and his passion and everything that he's given me. Uh, but, you know, as a Division Two coach, nothing changes. The only thing that changes uh, from that level to this level is you don't have to wear as many hats. Right. Uh, you know, being a Division Two guy, you, sometimes you've got to be academic coordinator. You're going to have to do uh, a few more things. You're going to have to be the equipment guy. Uh, and, and that was one of the bigger things when I when I made this move up here was what do you mean I don't have to teach class? Right. You know, so I've had to teach class at the college level in order uh, to get a, you know an extra stipend and stuff like that. But you know, just being a Division two guy, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it it taught you hard work. It taught you how to you know to be honest with you how to manage a budget. It taught you how how to make the most of what you were given because not all uh, universities that I worked at had the budgets to to recruit, had the budgets for uh, equipment, for jerseys, you name it. Uh, so you had to become very creative at that level in order to promote yourself and to promote your brand and to promote your university. Uh, so that was something that I'll always take is just the, the time and effort that we put into the small details. You're going to take it here and you're going to be able to run with it a little bit more. Uh, but the work ethic of, of being able to manage your time, uh, because, you know, at one point, uh, I wore a lot of different hats at West Texas from being the NFL liaison to the academic coordinator, to the recruiting coordinator, to the assistant head coach. And you just have to do that because you don't have as much manpower. Right. But that was one thing that I really took was just how to manage your time when you have to do all of those things and making sure that, you know, once you do move up or you get the job that is not going to require so much that you're still going to be able to manage your time in, in, in a respectful way. Well, so, Coach, all of those experiences, I mean, again, you just mentioned several of them, you know, NFL liaison to strength coach for the equestrian team to managing a budget, all those things. Now that you move to a place where you don't have to do those things, but how did all those experiences, how are they helping you today in your current job? Just your work ethic. Yeah. Just what you had to do. Now you can put that focus into things that are really going to be uh, the heart and soul of a football team, which is going to be recruiting, player development, academics, you know, all those things that you work so hard at because you took so much pride in the Division Two level that now you get to invest that into into that energy that may have been taken away in other places. You get to invest that much more time into recruiting, that much more time in doing research, that much more time into going to a clinic or professional development. You get that time and you just, you can't waste it because that goes back to the time management that you learn. Now, are we going to spend time or are we going to invest time? And so with what I learned at the Division II, I've got to make sure that I'm investing that time in order to become the best person, coach, that I can be for my players. Coach, now let's talk about let's talk about Incarnate Word. So you got there on campus. You came with Coach Eric Morris. This past season, 2018, was your first year there. The, the two seasons prior to, to y'all arriving there were pretty rough uh, for the Cardinals. They were 3-8 and eight in 2016 and then 1-10 in 2017. And then y'all turn that around and go six and five this year and win the Southland Conference. So how did that how did that happen? What are some things that 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 Coach Morris and, and y'all as a staff implemented that helped lead to that early success this season? 
You know, the, the, the biggest thing and first thing that I'm going to tell you is our strength and conditioning program here is one of the best that I've ever seen at all levels. Our head strength coach, Brett Huth, does an unbelievable job of just what he does in the weight room, what he does on the field. He set the tone early and often when everybody got here. Uh, you know, he, he set the expectation of how they were going to be in the weight room, in the locker room, on the practice field, when we were still out recruiting and still trying to put a class together. Uh, and so we we have to give a lot of kudos to him for, for being able to, to translate that message from what Coach Morse wanted to coach youth during those early times. You know, another thing that we did once we all got here is, you know, we, we just took the time to sit down and just listen to the players. Yeah. We just want, we wanted them to be heard and not say, well, why didn't this happen? Why did that? What? It doesn't matter what we think. It's going to matter what these kids have been through, what what their opinion is. And that and that's just something that we as coaches have got to understand. Some of these kids just need to be heard because their voice, they haven't been able to voice their opinion or voice their concerns in however long, six months, a year, two years. And so once those kids actually saw and understood that we were there to you know, make this year the best year of their life, which I think we did that for a lot of guys, you know, we listened to what, what they had to express, you know, and that had to be from practice structure to, uh, you know, on campus dining to, you know, the, the type of apparel that they're getting. It was just all these things that they, that they believed that they needed to right. be successful. And so we did our best to try to meet these needs of the players so therefore there's no excuses as well. You know, right. this is what you say that you need in order for us to be successful. This is what you like. This is what you believe uh, that we, we need to, in order to move forward. And so just sitting there and listening to those guys and it, you know, it was a two week process because you're spending 30, 45 minutes an hour with these guys almost every day. Uh, you know, it was, it was something that, not only did we need as a coaching staff to get a feel for who our team was, but they needed to get a feel for who we were as people. Right. And I think, and I think that was uh, a huge breaking point, uh, a huge, a huge moment in our, in our program was when, when we broke that barrier down and they're like, okay, these guys are legit. And then we got to see who they were as people first. And then we right. got on the football field. Right. That was the first step in our process. Right. Was just fighting, finding out, what made these guys tick? What motivates them? Uh, you know, like I said, it's going to take some time, but the X's and O's had to take a step back because that's not going to matter if these aren't if these guys aren't even going to trust us. You know, right, that was a big right. thing when I first got there. Was I, I helped basically take over some of these academics of the guys that played for us this year? If I had to monitor their study hall, I was willing to do that because again. I had to do that in division two, exactly. you know? Yeah. So that was, it just kind of carried over. Hey, if you need to come in here an hour, I don't mind. And that was just this type of stuff. You have to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And once they saw that, that we we're willing to go the extra mile, that is when they started to trust. That is when they started to believe. And then we got on the football field and they're going, Oh wow. So this defense means we're going to get some turnovers. We're going to get some sacks and then our offense. Oh, we're going to score you know, 40 points, we're going to, we're going to run the ball for 200 yards. Once they saw the success tie into us putting, uh, putting so much time into them as people, that's just when the ball started rolling. Yeah. That's, that's just when everything started getting in motion. 
Yeah, Coach, it reminds me of a quote I heard from Rod Marinelli at a Glazier Clinic this offseason. He said, you know, you coach the man first and the player second. And I thought, you know, if he can say that as a coach of the Dallas Cowboys and these guys are getting paid millions of dollars, if that's what he believes, then then, then that's got to be where it starts with me and with you and with, with coaches who are below that level. And so to me, that's impressive, especially for a staff. You know, you have a first-time head coach coming in. I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to install his system and to put his stamp on the program. But to be able to slow down and, and have the, the wisdom to say, all right, first of all, let's talk to these guys and let them feel like they have a voice and some ownership in what's going to be going on around here. Right. And build that trust before we just come in here guns a-blazing and start changing stuff and, and moving depth chart stuff around and, and, and throwing some X and O's up on the board. Absolutely. Uh, well, so let me ask you this then. So how do you balance that, okay, asking guys questions and getting their opinion? How do you take your vision and mix that with what those guys are wanting to do? Well, and, and that's, you know, that, that was part of the tricky part is those guys, it, it is ultimately their team. We all know that as coaches is that the players run the locker room. They, they run the cafeteria. They run the dorm rooms. What, what's being said in those places is critical to the team chemistry. And so once we heard that, you know, we still had our standards. We still had our expectations. We still had our rules and regulations. And so we didn't waver on those at all. If they matched up and they aligned in it, then, then we were, we were on it. And now if there was something that they personally maybe not have seen or agreed with, then again, the, the, the type of kid that we're dealing with in this day and age, they need to know the why of everything. Right. And that's okay. That yeah. is completely okay. Uh, cause that is just the reality of the situation and the reality of the generation that we're dealing with yep. is they want to know the why it's our job to give them the why. Yeah. And so we said this, this is why we're doing it this way. Does this make sense? Yes or no? Okay, if it doesn't, then we may have an issue. If you really can't align up with our vision, maybe this isn't a place for you, which that was a great thing about it is we didn't have a lot of attrition uh, last year once we took over. And so that's been the, the, the greatest thing is once they just started seeing that our that our vision and our, uh, our beliefs and our values were, were allowing them to be successful, that's when they were like, okay, you know, this is this is exactly what we needed. This is maybe these guys do know what they're talking about, and, and they're going to continue to believe. Coach, can you share with us, just as a team, what were some of those values or belief systems that you know you hear about? Coaches have, or you know, a lot of coaches have core values or uh, a vision or a mission statement or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about what that was for your team? You know, uh, the, the majority of it is you know this is the one thing that Coach Morse is always going to talk about. He wants you to be a good man. And not to make life-altering mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes. We are doing our best job not to allow these guys to make life-altering mistakes. And we all knows what know what those are. That's alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, uh, s- certain things with women, uh, you know, stealing that type of stuff. If we if we can just continue to get that point across, you know, one of the things that we have done uh, this off-season that has been a huge attribute to that is we had be a man Wednesday. And so we had different coaches. We had our athletic trainers. We had GAs equipment guys come up every Wednesday this off season and talk about what it means to be a man to that particular person. And you wow. don't know what that message is. All the messages are going to be different because everybody has a different opinion. Yeah. But those different opinions are going to reach different people. Wow. And so we do certain things like that in order to, we want you to be the best version of yourself possible. 
Right. We don't want you to be anybody else. We want you to be the best version of yourself. And if we don't see that, if we don't see you meeting that, then we're going to call you out. We're going to hold you accountable. But the thing is, is we want those guys to keep us accountable as coaches as well. Because one thing is, as a coach you can get, you can get it full of yourself and get full of your ego. You may not want to listen to your players because they may be 18, 19, 20 years old. But you know what? A man's a man. We're all trying to grow. We're all trying to get better. And so when we had our players calling us out or holding us accountable when we were at fault, we were okay with that. Yeah. Because we're all trying to get better. We didn't get defensive. And so that is something I think that was special and unique about us is we had our players that were going to be able to hold us accountable just like they held us accountable, knowing that we're all going to fall short. As long as we're all growing, then we're going in the right direction. Yeah, Coach, the, the word I keep hearing you say is accountability, and that's such a tough thing because it's not fun holding people accountable and it's not fun being held accountable, you know. It's it's Correct. not, but but it's it is vital and necessary for the success of any program, football team, business, whatever. It's for that right. accountability to be there, and so it sounds like you are doing some great things to to, to keep that or have that in place. So yeah. let's talk about your your room specifically, your defensive position group. So you get in there with those guys, you're meeting with them for the first time. They're kind of looking at you up and down, wondering who you are, if you're legit or not, or whatever. So what are some things that you implemented with your guys, your position group guys specifically, uh, from day one? You know, first first thing I've told these guys, and, and this is how I am, I'm upfront honest. I look at them like, hey, listen, there are going to be days that you're going to like me, and there's going to be days that you're not going to like me. And there's going to be days that I'm going to like you, and there's going to be days I'm not going to like you. That's just real life. That's how relationships work. But at the end of the day, that we're a family, and that we're going to push each other to be the best versions out of ourselves. You know, I always tell these guys, I'm going to coach you hard, but I'm going to make sure that you are loved harder because that is something that I, I've, you know, I saw my dad do it. I saw my position coaches do it all from an early age. They were on me hard in the smallest details. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I preach over and over and over is the details will eventually, small details will eventually lead to big results. And they can be either be positive or negative, And that's up to you. But we've got to make sure that our, our small details are going to lead to positive, big results. You know, and that was something that, you know, we always constantly talked about was how can we, can we get one inch better today? One inch better, because those inches are eventually going to lead into a foot. That foot's going to lead into a mile. That mile's going to lead into, you know, how far we want to go with it. And so we just talk about getting one inch better every single day. Uh, and then, you know, the, the biggest thing is you have to establish an identity within uh, your position group. Yeah. You have to have, you have to establish that identity and something that we talked about when we discussed is we talked about the defensive line having an edge. And so we defined what an edge was, an edge, an edge was edge for us is energy, discipline, grit, and effort. That is what our edge is. And that's what we're going to be, be defined by every single day in practice is where's our energy, where's our discipline, where's our grit and where's our effort. That is the things that we're going to take pride in day in and day out. And if we can focus on those those four things that define what the edge is for our program, for our defensive line, then we're going to be in great shape. And so it was just it was just a process of of, of showing these guys, uh, you know, the the different techniques and everything that we worked on, and then being able to see how it uh, led to success on the field. I, I praise I praise that more than I praise uh, the criticism of what they did wrong. Right. Uh, you know, you, I want to be uh, 
slow to slow to critique, but be quick to praise is is kind of what the philosophy we have with those guys is because I want them to walk out of that meeting room not being defeated. I want them walking out of that meeting room being confident because that is when you start seeing success. If those guys are confident in their ability, then they're going to start taking taking over itself. Yeah, and and, and coach. What I'm, I think, what I'm hearing you saying is that, as a, even as a position coach, you have to view yourself as the head coach of that position. There's no doubt, and there's and no doubt you can. It's still possible to have your own um, vision or, or goal for that group that still fits with the overall mission of the team. Absolutely, um, and I think that's important for us as you know those guys who are assistant coaches. Is hey, you know, I, I think in our own team, you know, the linebackers have their own little thing they say, and that's their thing, and the D line right. we have our thing, and the and that's and it's not a bunch of separate individual groups. We all fit under the umbrella of, you know, we're the we're the Tyve Antler Blue Swarm defense. But all those things work together to give that group an identity, and yes, it, you know, fits the personality of the guys in the group, of the coach, and that sort of thing. I'm assuming that that you know when you're you're coaching this way, you know, you said you're, I'm gonna I'm gonna coach you hard, but love you harder. A lot of guys might think that that looks like you're out there, you know, holding their hand and and you know, singing kumbaya and stuff like that. But that's that's not it at all, is it? No, absolutely not. If if anybody listening to this podcast and they've seen me coach, uh, I'm drenched in sweat after every single practice, every single drill. You're going to hear me getting after our guys because you you know when we're going over our bio with you what, that I sent you about. You know, one of my mentors is Chris Kasurik. Chris Kasurik was a defensive. He coached me in college. He was. Uh, the defensive line coach for the Detroit Lions. He he drafted in Dominican Sue, Nick Fairley. Then he was with the Dolphins, and now he's with the 49ers. Chris Kasser coached me the same way that he coached in Dominican Sue, and that was hard every single rep. I run to the football during practice. I want I want to make sure that I am just as active with those guys in practice, that when I walk off the field, I gave them every single thing that I had because, you know, Chris broke it down to me this way. He goes, if you can't give your guys six hours of your best out of an entire week, you're failing them. I was like, what do you mean by that? He goes, you practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? Correct. Tuesdays is usually your longer day. Wednesdays is a long day. Thursdays, a kind of a brush up day. And then Fridays a walkthrough. That's a combination of six hours out of a week. If you can't go full blast for six hours out of how many hours are in a week? I couldn't tell you. I'm not a math guy. If you can't do that, you're failing your players. And so when I walk out on that football field, that is the one thing that I know is I can't sit there and demand my guys give their best to me every single day if I'm not going to give my best to them every single day. Right. And so that's going to be – I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be running. I'm going to be on their tail every single rep that – it's it's something that I'm passionate about because that's how I was coaching, and I appreciated it. And those guys feed off of it. Yeah, coach, it goes back to that accountability thing. You know, we're we're trying to hold our guys accountable and demand effort and energy and enthusiasm, and it's really hard to do that sitting on a bucket twirling our whistle around our finger. Exactly, and you know that was one of the things that I read a long, long time ago in an AFCA magazine about Ed Orgeron when he was a head coach at Ole Miss. Yeah, he said the one thing that the defensive line coach has got to be, he's got to be in great shape. Yeah, and and (laughs) when I read that, I was like, he's crazy. And then when I went out there and I was not in great shape, one of these two a days, I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Cause you can't coach that way if you're not in great shape. Right. And so that's just something that I learned and that I took with me and like, 
that guy's considered one of the best in the in the business, if not ever. And now, you know, I, I want to follow that suit because I do want to be under that same umbrella as those kind of guys. And I think, again, that's where you get the buy-in from your kids. You know, I always tell them, hey, don't let your coach outwork you now. Exactly. You know, I ain't playing Friday or in free okay Saturday. You know, I'm not suiting up. Right. I'm just going to stand on the sideline and, and, and holler at you and, and right. you know, do hand signals. So don't let me outwork you during the week. No doubt. Um, no doubt. That just goes right into, you know, getting that buy-in, especially that first year as a first-year coaching staff, getting those guys to trust you and see that you're actually going to, you know, literally walk the walk and talk the talk uh, of what you're of what you're selling those guys. Let's move into your year this year. As a defense, uh, y'all led the nation in turnovers, which is unbelievable. There's a lot of great teams uh, on that level, and, and that's that's uh, some really awesome company to keep. So what is it that y'all are doing to emphasize turnovers in practice and teach turnovers to your guys? You know, the biggest thing is we just want the guys to touch the football as much as possible in any drill that we do. We find a way for them to get their hands on it. Now, we do our turnover circuits on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we'll even do turnover circuits the day of the game for them to get the hands on the ball one more time. Yeah. You know, and it's not just – we don't just have defensive line-specific turnover drills or DBs-specific turnover drills. These guys are all doing the same type of t- what we call takeaway circuit, these takeaway drills, because – we had three defense linemen that had interceptions this year. One got returned for a touchdown. Oh, wow. And so it was our guys catch balls. I mean, and right now we have our defense linemen going out and catching 50 balls every other day just in case, you know. And when those when those moments arise that they're going to be ready for it to catch it, you know, and you may say, well, that that's never going to happen in the game. Well, we're living proof that it could happen and it could change the game for you. And it, and it did for us on multiple occasions. But, you know, we, we take pride in trying to get our hands on the ball as much as we can through practice, through team. You know, we count ball disruptions, uh, which is going to be a PBU, an interception, a sack, you know, force fumble, uh, recovered fumble, anything that we can do. It's the ball, the ball, the ball. We want those guys to understand how critical it is because that absolutely changed the game. And we knew, and we put such an emphasis on it, if we knew we got the ball into our quarterback and our offense's hands, we were going to score points and we were going to have a chance to win a lot of games, which we did. And so that was something that we, once they saw, once we get the quarterback, get the ball back in our offense saying, we're going to be in good shape. Again, it's an everyday thing for us with, with defense line. If that's just recovering a fumble, if it's catching a pass, uh, if it's a tip drill, anything that we do, we try to get the ball involved in some capacity of our drill work. Talk about some specific drills that you're doing within your circuits. Uh, you talked about, you know, there's not any position specific drills that those guys are doing, but, you know, everybody gets to do everything. So what, what are some of those drills specifically that y'all are doing? You know, to, to be honest, we start off very, very simple. And so what we'll do is we just, what we call nose on the football. And so those guys are going to take off their helmets and they're going to have someone run down the line with one, with the ball in the arm. And we're just going to have our guys put their nose on the ball. That's all they're going to do. They're not going to run. They're not going to do anything. But we're just teaching them so when they make a tackle that this is the this is the placement that we want. We want them to physically see the football. And so they do that about four or five times. So it's just an assembly line. You have one guy going down with the ball in the right hand, 
Those guys get into a good position. They're putting the nose on the ball. Guy goes to the next guy, nose on the ball all the way through, come down left hand. And so they change, you know, near, you know, uh, near leg, near shoulder. So they switch their stances, but again, they're getting down and they're, they're just seeing it and they're getting a feel for it. And we want to get their eyes on the ball. Uh, another thing that we're going to do is we're, we're going to teach these guys to, to, to punch through the ball with a frontal tackle. And then we're going to teach them to, uh, to rake the ball from the back when, when they on a tackle as well. And so another thing that we teach is we, we teach those guys that if we're, you know, you always hear that we want to secure then strip. Well, we don't do that. We strip then secure. Huh. And so that's something that we do a little bit different is because as soon as that ball carrier feels that pressure, of the secure what's he gonna do yeah he he's gonna up. get that ball high and tight yeah it's a natural instinct for him and so we want to make sure that if we're raking after the ball we're punching at the ball that we're doing that first and then our secondary move is to tackle or to secure the tackle huh, and it goes the same thing for you know when we go for the quarterback strip as we go in detail with our quarterback strip we go quarterback with a low hand quarterback with a mid hand quarterback with a high hand so we try to give these guys every scenario that they're going to see from different ball carriers because ball carriers are going to be taller. They're going to be shorter. They're going to have different angles. And so we work those different angles in all our, all of our um, takeaway circuits. So those guys can get a feel for it because if you look at it and you break it down, you know, a lot of guys are just going to have that ball high and tight. That's not right. the case all right. the time. Right. You have to put them in a position of what they're going to see in game day. So you have to get creative with, all right, this guy's going to be a little low into the side, or this guy's going to be uh, a mid carry and, and be fairly tight with it, or this guy's going to be high and tight. You know, so you have to get creative with how you're attacking the football, not just the generic way of high and tight all the time, because that's truly not realistic. Right. Right. What about uh, in-game rewards? You know, everybody's got, it seems like everybody's got some sort of in-game, whether it be a, a turnover chain or a cane or something, some some, some yeah. sort of prop that everybody's doing. Do y'all do anything like that? All we did was compare us to the best. We could sit there and say, we have more turnovers than Alabama. Yeah, yeah. We have more turnovers than the University of Texas. We have more turnovers than, you know, North Dakota State. And so we would just compare ourselves right. and say, look what you guys are doing. Yeah. The best of the best aren't doing this. You guys are doing it. And that was motivation enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ju just to kind of sit there and say, wow, we're better at this one particular team in this statistical category. Those guys never thought they'd be able to do something like that. Right. Right. And so it just, it became a pride thing, to be honest with you. Yeah. It just became a pride thing when you see that you are literally the best in the country that at, in all levels, you know, that, that was something those guys could hang their hat on and they're going to be proud of for the rest of their life. So was that something at the beginning of the season y'all said, hey, guys, we're going to lead the nation in turnovers? Was that something you said or is it just y'all just went about your business and that was a product of how you practiced and all those things you did? It, it just is a product of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we had a wild game versus Sam Houston. We created seven turnovers oh, versus wow. Sam Houston which was a school record, and I think it was a conference record. Uh, and so, you know, we were averaging two to three, and then all of a sudden it became three or four, and then it was, you know, three, and then all of a sudden we popped seven. And it was like, okay, we're on to something right now. We're finding yeah. a way to get the ball out. And so that was when it really kind of took off was when we started comparing. We're like, all right, hey, 
this is this is we're, we're doing a really good job of this right now this is something that we can keep the momentum of let's continue to make sure that we're focusing on this and not get caught up in just our success as a team let's continue to focus on the small details of what got us to this success right in your team periods or or inside drills or things like that are guys constantly going for the ball is that you know if you're the second guy to the ball is that and that's the beautiful thing about working for Eric Morris. I'm just going to tell you this for being a guy from the air raid tree, for being an offensive coordinator and offensive minded head coach, we do a defensive emphasis period every single day in practice that where the offense caters to the defense. And so he was all in from day one about getting the ball back into the offense's hands, regardless if it had, if it took away five minutes of the offenses getting, getting work, honestly, and so that was one of the greatest things that I have seen from a head coach was we're going to do block it up. We're going to do screen drill, whatever, to put us in a position to see this stuff, you know, tip ball drill, anything else. Uh, and it was just, it, it was, uh, you know, we made sure he, he did a great job of that. And that was something that really attributed to our success as well. Well, that is crucial to have. The, the stamp of approval from your head coach, especially an offensive guy, to see the importance of that. Obviously, uh, every time that, that y'all turn the ball over, that's three that's three more downs minimum for them. That I believe is key is is for the for, to have the buy in from the head coach as well, and really yes, as far across the whole staff. So let's move into um, you guys are our big time twist game t- uh, team D, D front out of your out of your even front, and you, you're moving around a lot. So talk about that a little bit. Why do you think that's been such a vital part of your success as a defensive line? You know, and the, the biggest thing that, you know, when we, we took over here is we, we didn't have just tremendous size up front. Our defensive ends were are, are, were, were pretty big, good-looking guys. You know, they were all 6'5", 245, 250 plus, a majority of them. But our interior guys weren't, weren't the, the 310, 315-pound guys that you normally see in a traditional defensive line. Uh, you know, we had some undersized guys, uh, but were really quick and they had very good lateral movement. And so that was something that when we saw that, you know, we may not be as strong at the point of attack as what we would like in some instances. Uh, you know, well, that's one thing Coach Deason believes in is finding the gifts uh, of all of our players. You know, and so we we really sat down and we're like, OK, we're not just going to be a true one gap just plug defensive line. We've got to make sure that we're moving these guys around and keeping the offensive linemen on their toes. Yeah. And so that's something that we took pride in as well was, you know, we got really, really good at running our movements, uh, you know, and that was, you know, an in first tackle, second tackle first in second, or we'd run an interior read game with our two interior guys, or we would run a three man game. And now we have different ways that we run it. We have the ways we run it versus the run. And then we have some, you know, some deep games that we run versus the pass. Uh, and so that's something that our guys did a really good job of is learning those different types of, if we call this type of movement, we're doing this for run. So you have to be expecting to run. Yeah. If we call this, you should be expecting pass. Now, if it's run, you got to adjust, you know, all that other stuff. But right. with our quick movements, it was something that it was, it was just, a, it was really just a curveball. You know, we're bringing our, our fastball, just playing our base, playing our base. And all of a sudden, we're going to throw an 82-mile-an-hour changeup at you, and hopefully we make you miss, and we're going to be able to get into the backfield one way or the other. Right. You talked about different run and pass movements and slants. So how do those vary as far as their technique goes, if, it's, if, it's a, if, I'm, if I'm twisting or slanting against the run versus the pass? 
Right. And so, and so with, with our run movements, what we want to do, the biggest thing is it's happening now, you know, everything has got to be going now. There's not much of a sell. Uh, so everything is happening very quick and it's happening at the line of scrimmage. And so what, one thing that you have to do a good job of is we have to make sure when we're running these movements is that we're staying as square to the line of, uh, line of scrimmage as possible with anybody that's slanting, penetrating, whatever. We want to stay as square to the line of scrimmage as possible so we're able to redirect and make a play or become you know, a, a, a spill guy if there's a puller, any type of those things. Because as soon as you turn your shoulders, that's when chaos is going to happen. That's when you're going to overrun plays. That's when you're not going to get to your gap. That's when you're just when you're going to be out of control. And so that was the biggest thing that we really did a good job of is making sure that those guys were always scored to the line of scrimmage. We always made sure that we made everything look the same, that we weren't getting on separate planes uh, because offensive linemen are going to pick up on that. If the defensive end is further back or if he's up close and the defense tackles for the back are up close, they're going to be able to point that out. Right. Or the difference in stances or, you know, pad level eyes. We had to make sure that we disguise that to make it look like it was our base front, uh, you know, down in and down out. And so with those quick movements, they were happening fast. We we're squared to the line of scrimmage. And we had to make sure that our hands were up and always active. You know, that's something that you'll see a lot of guys do is when they run these movements, their hands are always below their belt line. And they're not re- ready to get into the combat zone when combat hits them. That's something that we always had to do is when we're moving, your hands are up, your eyes are up, and your shoulders and toes are pointed towards the line of scrimmage. Now with our with our pass rush games, what we do is we're gonna run these, we're gonna run them deep. All right. And I'm not gonna go into detail how we run them because I don't yeah. want someone to steal it, but we're gonna run them deep and we want to make sure that we're getting those offense alignment on a separate plane. That's the biggest key. That is the biggest key, and we and we had some success with that later in games when we knew we were up by 14, 17 points, and know that the offense had to do it. We got we got I would say really good at running our pass rush games as well, in order ju- just to change the picture up as well. Yeah, uh, you know that that's all it is. It's just changing the picture up for that offense alignment, especially in the third or fourth quarter. You know that that's something that we kind of hung our hat on is you know we we want to be able to. Uh, to kind of keep you guessing, especially when when those guys may be tired. Just to summarize, it sounds like with your with your running movements, again, those are happening right now. You're keeping yes, your you're keeping your pads square to the line of scrimmage. On passing situations, those are usually again where where, where you want to kind of take some time uh, to allow things to open up, and, and 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 you probably you're setting some things up and 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 allowing that quarterback you know get back in his drop and then and then before you're uh, before you're rushing him. So well, let's talk about the specific technique now. Are there different stunts that are where I'm just trying to move gaps or are there different or different line movements where I'm trying to actually penetrate? Are, are, we, are they all penetrating? What's, what's the deal there? You know, so with a, a lot of our stuff is, you know, we can, we, they're always uh, going to involve at least two people. You know, it could be the end or nose or end and tackle or nose and tackle. Uh, and one of those guys is either going to be the penetrator and then one's going to be the, the rapper, okay. which would be the second guy. You know, that's one thing that, I, that I've learned is I don't like to use the word looper because when you hear the word loop, people think wide. Yep. And so I use the word rap all the time. You're, you're the rapper because when you rap something, you're rapping it tight. And so you have your penetrator and you have your rapper. And so, you know, we have to make sure that our aiming points, if I'm the penetrator, are, are where they need to be. 
Uh, and so those, those aiming points can differ uh, depending on the movement to the inside shoulder of the tackle, uh, to the to the hip of the guard. It just depends on what movement that we're running. But we're going to be as detailed as possible. I'm not just going to say slant to the B gap. Right. Well, what does that mean? Right. That means to get to the B gap. Well, what if he gets reached? Well, you know, that's well, if I if I give him a smaller aiming point, he's going to be able to get there. If I'm detailed with that, that 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 kid is going to be able to execute that movement a lot better than just get to the B gap. Right. Okay? That that is such a wide variety of options for these kids. Uh, so, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're given details on where you want them to get to. If it's the inside shoulder of the tackle or if it's the hip of the guard or the, 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 the breastplate of the guard, it, it just depends on what best fits your scheme. Yeah. So we go to the small details of that, you know, and when I become the rapper, the biggest thing is when I do this, I've got to make sure that my eyes are on my next man over. You know, if my man's down, I'm crossing face. If the man is out, then I'm getting to the hip of the tackle and I'm pressing it vertical right there. I'm going to find green grass. I'm going to, you know, this is another term I use those for those guys. If the front door's closed, then take the back door. Yeah. You know, yeah. find green grass. Don't right. just go somewhere just to go there. Be a football player and exactly. our linebackers will adjust off of you. Exactly. And so that's something that we want those guys to constantly understand. When we run this, we're not going to be robotic. We want to be smooth with it because the more robotic that we are, the easier that these are going to be able to be picked up. Right, right. Yeah, Coach, I mean, again, it's kind of saying just hit the B-gap is like, you know, giving you a gun and saying, hey, shoot that target over there. Right. Well, you know, if I hit anywhere on the target, then I did what you told me to do. But uh, exactly obviously, right. if we want them to hit that bullseye, then we got to talk about a little more specifics, and there goes some right. more technique into that. Uh, and then I liked what you said about the, you know, hey, if the front door is closed, take the back door, because sometimes, especially younger kids, the movement's designed for me to get in the B gap and, and I'm going to get in the B gap no matter what right. happens. But it's really like, okay, really you're finding the open window. Uh, right. Don't just run in there and, and then something that's cloudy just because that's where it's designed to go. I mean, it's ultimately, right. we want you penetrating or we want you rapping or whatever and making a play. So go to the spot where that's going to allow you to do that. You, you mentioned not wanting to give things away with, with your alignment, whether having guys deep or changing up their stance or whatever. Right. So how do you, when, you, when you're getting ready to do those stunts and things like that, how do you help those guys sort of cheat for success or, or align for success? Uh, how do you do that? With that, you just have to work with those guys. With, with our movements, we work that for 15 or 20 minutes every every day. Yeah, and that because that's that's how important they are to us, and that's how much success we had. Is we made it a priority to, you know, there, there's going to be some different guys that are going to have to cheat. You know, maybe six inches, move up this foot, or you know, move your back, your hand back just a little bit. You know, distribute your weight a little bit different, just because the body types are so different. So each kid is going to be tailored differently. As long as we're not giving away and tipping our hat with major alignment uh, adjustments right then that's fine right you know as long as we're making you know making the picture all look the same that's what's that's what's important so it's more about not tailoring to the movement but tailoring to the kid himself yeah uh because you know for example i have a kid that when he's in a left-handed stance he's just he's just has his left hand down when he gets into a right-handed stance he gets into a four-point stance so people saw that and like, all right, he's got to be running a move. No, no, not necessarily. That was kind of 
that's what he was comfortable with when he was in the right hand stance. And so that's what we do is I'm trying to tailor how these guys can get comfortable uh, w- without tipping their hat to what they do. So if you can tailor to your kid, much, you know, not so much the scheme, then that's going to help you. So just finding little little things that will help that one particular kid will, will, will help you. So let's talk about then the steps that they're taking. So when the ball snap, uh, is it just depending on whether I'm the penetrator or the rapper? Depending on what my role is, is, is what my step will be doing. How, how do you how are you coaching steps on these line movements? Okay, and you know you know a lot of people they're going to tell you to take a, a six inch step, or they're going to tell you one where I, I can't I can't do numbers like that because these kids' body types are different. So I'm going to have some longer levered individuals. I'm going to have some guys that have got short legs. And so when we take our slant steps, you know, the biggest thing is, again, I'm going to make sure that my hip and toe are pointed towards towards the line of scrimmage. And now the one thing is I don't want to get them to get so far outside of their body frame. I don't want them to get outside their shoulder width or what I call the cylinder. You know, keep everything within your cylinder. And then we're always going to want to drive that second step and get that forward as soon as possible. Because on these movements, you win or lose by your first two steps. And that's that's all across defensive line play and offensive line play. You win or lose by your first two steps. But we're going to make sure that our first step, we're gaining as much ground as possible without getting outside of our body frame. Again, that's going to be different with the different shapes of kids that you have. Uh, and that was a lesson that I learned because I used to be a stickler on that. And I was like, well, this six inches doesn't you know, match up to him. So, you know, a guy that's maybe shorter may have to take a little bit longer in order to gain that little bit more ground. Uh, you know, and so that's stuff that I've I've kind of developed over the years. But I'm going to have these guys, you know, I'm going to have them work lateral, and then I'm going to try to get that second step vertical as soon as possible. You know, and understand that second step getting vertical, naturally they're going to cross over a little bit. Uh, it's very, very rare that you're going to see a guy that's going to be able to slam a gap over without crossing over himself. Yeah, but if we can overemphasize that second step, press them vertical, that's going to allow them to accelerate or change direction to pursue the ball down the line. And it goes the same thing. And that's really with the, the penetrator right there. And if I'm the rapper, another thing is, you know, we're going to cross over run uh, with our slant step. As the penetrator goes, we've got to make sure that we cross over run because I don't want those guys to, to shuffle. Because yeah. if those guys do shuffle, then that means their pad level is going to be probably a hair high. But yeah. if they carry Oka or cross or crossover run, like I said, they're at least going to have some knee bend, and they're going to be able to get downhill and get to their gap as soon as possible. So on those run on those run movements, is the rapper is he taking a jab step to let that to let the penetrator clear him, or is he just going we, right now? We we do do that. There, in yeah. some instances, we will. <laughs> we call that bite and go. Okay. And so we sell it with our eyes, hands, and feet. Let's talk about this. So when you're watching film or you're 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 examining an offense, or looking at an offense, what dictates when you twist your front? Is it down in distance? Is it formation? Is it just vary from opponent to opponent? Or what are some things without giving away too much? What are some things that sort of lead y'all to think that okay, we're going to be slanting a lot this week, or we're going to do some some line movements with our with our defensive front? Personnel. I'm I'm looking at their offensive line. I, that that is what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, there there were some games, and I'll get I'll, you know be more specific. But our playoff game versus Montana State, it was not wise for us to to, to do a lot of movement versus that team because of all the gap scheme that they did. That if if we didn't get there, they were it was going to hurt us. Right. And, and I saw how their offensive lineman picked up 
uh, the quick movements in, in their league, and they did a tremendous job. Uh, and so I really look at the personnel. I look at the, the athletes on that offensive line. How are they going to match up versus us being just stationary? Or how are they going to be, you know, versus versus a moving target? And so right. you you have to you have to game plan that, and you have to look into that, and really dissect uh, that offensive line is what we do. Now there's going to be certain down and distances uh, with with our our, our passing uh, pass games right. uh, that that will definitely be different. Uh, but you know more more than anything, it's the personnel that we're going up against. Again, depending on with that offensive line, you feel like they can pick that stuff up or not will sort of dictate how much you're, you're twisting. So let's let's talk about the uh, the passing situation. When it's a passing situation, do you feel better about just having your guys rush, or do you or do you do you feel better about using some sort of twist game, or is it, again is that dependent upon the offensive line you're facing? It just depends on the offensive line, and you know, to be honest with you, I, I go into the game, uh, you know, trying to change up my tendencies. Uh, because, you know, that's something that, um, you know, Coach Deason gives me a lot of freedom of is calling different pass rush games. He, he gives me that freedom to do that. Uh, and so I have to go back and I have to look at, you know, what, what I've called in those certain situations and out of what front, uh, you know, and really break that down because, you know, it, it may be one of those games to where we get into a certain front and we go straight rush three times and then we get into that front again and then we hit them with a deep game. Right. Or I may I may come out and hit them with three deep games, and that may go, uh, you know, straight rush. And so it just depends on the tendencies and what we feel comfortable with versus that particular offensive line. Right. Are there as you're going throughout the season and teams are getting more and more film on you? Are there certain rush games that you're sort of saving for certain opponents or certain oh, times absolutely. of the year that you don't break out? You know, early on in the season. Absolutely. Or we're going to break out break out all the exotic stuff early. And make those guys prepare for it and not use it. Yeah, and yeah. so it, it, it can go twofold that way. Uh, and so that's something that uh, you know you, you just have to know uh, what we're the best at. What are we really, really good at? And only in this situation will we use it because we know people have been preparing for it. Right. You know. Right. Uh, you know. So we may not show our cards so early in, in certain games, or we may just run stuff and they they just can't pick it up. And so we're just going to keep running it until the cows come home. Right. Because I'll be honest with you, one game uh, this year, we ran one movement 12 or I'm sorry, one deep game 12 times. Wow. And 10 out of the 12 times we either got a sack or quarterback pressure. Wow. And it was just, we just stayed with it. We just stayed with it. We just kept going and going and going. And now there were games to where we didn't run any deep pass rush games. We just went straight rush because we felt confident in that. You know, and, but we also have to understand that, you know, our pass rush game plan is completely different. There was one team to where all we did is we told our, our defensive ends to go speed to power on their tackles. That's all we wanted to see because we wanted their quarterback to flush out of the pocket and throw on the run, knowing that that was not his strength. And so we wanted to, to collapse the pocket and make him get out and run and throw the ball, or we were going to push those tackles into the quarterback. Yeah. And so that was our that was our pass rush game plan. It wasn't games. It was just we changed what what kind of pass rush moves we were using that week. Are there times that uh, it's kind of circling back a little bit to pre snap stuff? Uh, are you doing anything ever like like stemming or just moving your front around pre snap oh, to sort of offset <laughs> that to, to make that offensive line a little bit passive or, or have to think a little bit? Oh, absolutely. 
I w- uh, ho- hopefully we can get you down here to watch some tape with us uh, th- this summer, and I'll show you how much we stemmed. Oh, we love, probably stemmed eighty five percent of our snaps this really? year. Really? Yes. Yes. So we would we would line up in two threes and two wide fives, and then we'd stem to two shades and two four eyes. Right. Or we'd go from an over to an under, or you know, well we'd go from a four man front to a three man front, three man front to a four man front. We stem probably eighty five percent of our snap uh, the, this uh, this season, and that was one thing that uh, you know we need. We had to do. We had to get creative, right? Uh, you know, just because of uh, you know the, the cards we were dealt. So when you're coaching that up with your guys, is are, are they? Are you telling them, hey, you're going to start here and you're going to wind up here, or do they have the freedom? To, okay, so you know, and even even during even during two days, we had instead of meeting one night, we would go out and do a twenty minute stem session. That's all we would do was just stem. I know that, you know, the name of the game, especially with us, is facing an opponent who knows the play, they know the snap count. Anytime you can get create some indecision on on their end, uh, that's good for us. And, Absolutely. I, and, and, you know, a lot of times offenses will run screens and draws to sort of slow down a defensive front that's really aggressive. And I think on, on our end, we can really slow down an offensive line that seems to just be maybe imposing their will a little bit by doing some of those twist games and some of these, the, the stemming around. Because a lot of us guys, a lot of us high school guys are in the same boat that, that y'all are in. We don't have those big guys. You know, you talk right. about six-footers and 300-pounders. If my two inside guys sat on each other's shoulders, they wouldn't be six feet. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, 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 definitely, um, it's definitely a challenge to uh, come up with ways and create ways to yeah. help them be successful in some matchups that are that aren't always favorable. Absolutely, so. and one and one of the neatest things that uh, that happened to us, and just a learning that really really helped us this year was, you know, our first two games we played University of New Mexico and North Texas, yeah. and so we came out and we stemmed and did all that stuff, and uh, you know we took our lumps, you know we we, we got our tails beat, very two very very talented football teams. Uh, but after we played North Texas, their offensive line coach came up and goes, uh, you guys realize that every time that you stem from a, your four-man front to a three-man front, you don't blitz. We're like, what? And he goes, no. Now, you went from a three-man front to a four-man front, you would blitz. But we didn't pick up on that as coaches with our tendencies. Yeah. And so it was just something so small like that that an opposing coach told us that made us that much better. Yeah, well, that's awesome, and and it's a a coach who came on here previously said, you know, hey, the offense is going to show you different different looks and different formations every week, and 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 so why can't we do that on on our side of the ball? Is give those guys different looks and give them something to think about, especially those those guys up front as they're going into to running that play. So, coach, as we uh, approach one hour on here, we're getting ready to head into the summer. Uh, and we know it's going to go by quick, and the season will be here just be- before we know it. What are some things or uh, something you're you're looking to do this summer to improve or to brush up on before the season starts? You, you know, the the one thing that I really really like to do uh, over the summer summer and what I've been doing the past couple months is is just really brushing up on my leadership skills. And the way that you do that is by reading. And so I, I've got two good books. I'm about to finish one of them. Uh, it's called Leaders Eat Last. And if anybody gets a chance to read that book. It, it, it's an absolutely tremendous book, uh, you know, that, that talks about uh, just really being a servant leadership. 
uh, being having that type of style uh, as a coach, and, and it just talks about how, how to serve others before yourself in order to to get uh, you know not just your business or your corporation, but your team to truly believe in you. Uh, and then I'm going to start on a new book called uh, Good to Great. Um, because I think that's a step that we need to take as a program is uh, yeah. we were good last year and how are we going to be great? Uh, and that's something that I try to do every summer is just is really brush up on, on those skills first and foremost uh, is making sure that I'm sharpening my blade as a leader, as a coach, and as a person uh, to, to be the best version of myself for my players. Because as we talked about earlier, we asked them to do that. I need to do that for these guys. Uh, and, you know, that's something – uh, that that I do first and foremost. Second off is uh, re- really really lucky to uh, you know ha- have a connection of uh, getting some film of some of the best uh, you know college footballs you know, defenses out there. You know we have tape from Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, Clemson, uh, you name it. That we we have that, and you know just really watching those guys and studying what they do versus certain personnels and what they do in certain situations. And then just making a cut up uh, for my guys to help motivate them throughout the, throughout the summer. Uh, you know, just trying to learn uh, from the best and see what they do and how they do it. And maybe my guys can learn something or they can, you know, watch, you know, a couple first round draft picks saying, Hey, this is exactly what we're doing. This is what uh, can, can help me as well. So, you know, just really taking taking a look at those guys and, and just really trying to see who they are uh, in certain situations. And then, you know, really, um, as, as far as that goes, uh, you know, ju- just trying to trying to get a better feel for our league, uh, you know, just continuously going back and studying the opponents, not just from last year, but from the years prior uh, of who's had success, why they've had success and what, uh, what makes them their program, you know, and that can be from how they've recruited to, uh, you know, to, to the games they played, why, uh, why were they successful versus a team that we weren't successful from, uh, and just really studying those guys. Uh, and then, of course, any chance that I get to, to go to a clinic, uh, you know, you got to be a lifelong learner, and I know everybody says that, but any clinics that we can go to that I can present at, uh, you know, it, it's it's – always the best thing to do, especially when you have a downtime uh, before it gets crazy in August. Well, uh, well, great stuff. And, and, you know, this hour flew by and there's a lot of other stuff I know that we could talk about, but just want to thank you so much again for coming on and sharing some knowledge with us and, and sharing the, the special things that you guys have going on at Incarnate Word. I want to wish you the best of luck this next season. Yes, sir. Well, I sure do appreciate it, coach. It's been a pleasure and anything that we can do for you down here, just let me know. Thank you, coach. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Great stuff today from Coach Watson. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Coach Watson D-Line. Our quote of the day comes from your boy Ben Franklin, who said, well done is better than well said. To put that in today's terms, coaches, don't talk about it, be about it, and always remember, no matter what, keep your pads down.